0: and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for us an eternal weight of glory Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray together as we stand. Father in heaven, now as we come to your word, um, we are bold enough to ask that you would speak to every single one of us. Um, uh, The God of the Bible as you present yourself in the Bible is a, a, a speaking God, a talkative God, a communicative God, um, somebody who makes himself clear. So we ask that you would make yourself clear, uh, and that you would speak right down uh, into the areas of our lives uh, that need you most, even if we're not aware that we need you there. So will you grant that in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, friends, please uh, sit down, and it's helpful if you would, uh, in your service sheet, turn back to pages six and seven. Um, we're looking at that epistle reading. It's an excerpt from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, second letter to the Corinthians, and um, we're going to be looking at the second half of it. Um, now, um, for the last few weeks, uh, I've, you know I've, I've been repeating the same thing, right? Um, do you remember? You do? God's best gift is always himself. Fantastic. I am. I, I already told you last week, I'm trying to drill that into our long-term memory. God's best gift is always himself. Now, God gives many gifts that aren't himself, but his best gift that he gives us is, is always himself. Now, but here's my question today, um, drawn from the second half of, of that epistle reading. Here, here's my question, if that's true. If God's best gift is always himself and and if you belong to Jesus Christ one of the things that we believe is that um when we when we entrust ourselves to Jesus when we belong to Jesus Christ that means that God has given us his best gift and if he continues to give us his best gift God gives us himself now if that's true and if uh, as if as Christians we have received God in Jesus Christ then my question is this why do i feel so frail so much of the time. Um, Every single day, almost every day, I don't wanna overplay it, but very close to every single day, I feel at some point afraid or weak or unsure or worried or woefully incompetent at something or other. And that's one way or the other most days, I think, ish. Um, every now and then I have a, a day where I'm just killing it, but th- it doesn't happen very often. Um, but then there are the times where, am I right, we slam up against, you know, teeth grinding, horrible suffering and pain, right? And my my question is, if God is God's best gift and he really gives us to him, he, if he gives himself to us in Jesus Christ, then What does it mean that I feel frail an enormous amount of the time? Maybe I'm overplaying that a little bit, but a lot of the time, right? Here's this. Let me say it this way: If I feel frail, and in particular if when life is just kicking me in the teeth, does that mean God's gone? Um, Because a lot of times, I—that's what I'm. That's my immediate conclusion: God must be gone. Okay, why am I asking that? Because it's a big question, right? It brings up all kinds of questions, most of which I'm not going to answer today. But I ask this this question because in our reading, Paul is reflecting upon his own experience of frailty. And he comes with this big shout or a roar that says, no, our experience of frailty does not mean that God is gone. And when life, you know, kicks you in the teeth, it does not mean that we're abandoned. Rather, Paul wants to tell us that uh, God's best gift is always himself, and that that is in in a unique kind of way, almost especially true, when we're experiencing great frailty there is according to the apostle paul a nearness to god that you only know when you find god giving himself to you in the midst of in the midst of frailty chronic frailty acute frailty and not only that there's also a fruitfulness for god in our lives that only you only gain when god gives himself to you in the midst of chronic frailty and uh, acute frailty. Really? Well, let's look at it. Verse seven, uh, this is the apostle Paul uh, describing his own experience. He says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. There's an image of frailty to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not given to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, do you see the resilience that Paul describes there? He says, we're afflicted, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're uh, persecuted, but not forsaken. And here's the deal. When I look at that verse, there, and there's a temptation to preach a particular kind of sermon. It's tempting to say, listen, um, when you belong to God, There's this amazing resilience that you experience. And um, life might be hard, but it won't get you down. And it's tempting to say, um, you know what? God's put something inside every one of us. And you you, you can tell I'm kind of straw manning this just a little bit. But it's tempting to say something like this. God has put something inside every one of us that means that we're going to hang in there. And that God's going to encourage us along the way. And everything's going to be fine. And you're just going to make it because there's something amazing that God has put inside you because you'll be resilient. It's tempting to preach that. And maybe if all we had was that single verse, that might be what we would conclude. But there's a bunch of reasons not to, not to that that's way too simple. Um, one of the reasons is that that idea of kind of simple resilience, there's something in you that's gonna make you, that's gonna help you through this, that it's gonna be fine. Um, that does not take Paul's own experience of suffering seriously. So in this letter, so th- this is an excerpt from a much longer letter. And at the very beginning of the letter, Paul tells these group of Christians in Corinth, which is in uh, Greece, he, he tells uh, them, he goes, listen, I've been going through a horrific time. Paul says, he says, it, he says, Things got so bad that we despaired of life. We despaired of life. Now, what that means is that um, here, the Apostle Paul is saying that just very recently, in the recent past, he had experienced suffocating suffering. He'd experienced suffering that went way beyond his resources to be resilient, at least in any kind of way, relying on anything within himself. And so however we look at this passage, we can't just say that there's this simple kind of resilience. We can't just kind of do a kind of hallmark card, kind of you'll make it through kind of thing. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about something deeper. He's talking about something that God does in the midst of frailty. Look at verse 7 and look at verse 10. There's this kind of purpose that Paul describes in the midst of his own frailty. Verse seven, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And then there's a purpose phrase to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Okay, here's a little clue about what's going on. Apparently, Paul says that his frailty in one way or another sort of makes room for God's power. What does that mean? Well, I'm not sure yet, but let's keep going. Skip to verse 10. Look for the words, so that. He says, we're always carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Now, the context is important here. So Paul's talking about his own experience in his own uh, ministry being an apostle. So what happened is uh, Paul became a follower of Jesus and then, um, and then his job was to go around and tell other people how to be followers of Jesus. So, so he does that. He goes all over the, the Mediterranean world. And apparently, it was excruciatingly difficult. It was just really hard. It was both a hard job. It was an arduous job. But it was also a job that made him run into suffering that he could have avoided if he had a different job. And his life was so hard That it's Paul says there were times where it felt like he was dying with Jesus. Um, he says it, there were times where it felt like the dying process had been turned up and accelerated in his life. However, that's not the whole story because he says, you know, just like this frailty that he experienced, somehow. Made room for God's power to come to the forefront. So he says, this experience of suffering and and, and feeling like he's the dying process in his life is being accelerated, this experience somehow gives way to experiencing more of this thing he calls the life of Jesus. Now, what in the world is he talking about? And I gotta be honest. I am very aware that in preaching this text, I am attempting to point us towards uh, realities that are far beyond my understanding. And I expect that it'll take the whole of our lives walking with Jesus to really grasp this and probably a great deal of the life of the world to come. There's mystery here. But if I could back out and look at the whole of Paul's life and look at all of Paul's writing, I think something like this emerges. When Paul first met Jesus, um, he found, it seems to me, to his great surprise, that God suffers with his people. Here's what I mean. Uh, So before before Paul was a follower of Jesus, um, he spent a great deal of his time trying to uh, uh, persecute uh, Jesus' followers. He he, he abused um, followers of Jesus. And one day, Paul was on, his, on the road to Damascus uh, to find some Christians, arrest them, maybe kill them, not sure. Um, and on the way, this is a famous story, Jesus, Jesus got in his way. Jesus stopped him on the road. And what Jesus says to Paul is, is really fascinating. Um, Paul or Jesus says, uh, Saul, which is just another name for Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, that's an interesting thing for Jesus. That's an interesting opener for Jesus because Paul was actually not persecuting Jesus. Uh, By this point, um, uh, Jesus had died. He had risen. He was off in heaven someplace. He, He, you know, physically, he was quite out of the picture. Paul was persecuting the followers of Jesus. However, despite that, the very first thing that Jesus says to Paul when he's introducing himself, right, in a confrontational manner the very first thing that paul learns about jesus from jesus is that jesus is that when jesus's people suffer jesus suffers with them and it seems to me that part of paul's copernican revolution in his understanding of god was finding out that God in Jesus Christ suffers with his people. That Jesus, even in heaven, in all of his glory, is not detached from our suffering. Now, at first, that's really bad news for Paul. Because, you know, Paul was like the enemy, right? Paul's the bad guy. And so Jesus is like, man, I I take this really personally, really seriously. Um, What you do to my people, you're doing to me. Uh, however, fast forward the story, Jesus, or Paul surrenders his life completely, comprehensively to Jesus Christ, becomes a follower of Jesus, and instantly, I mean, no gap, instantly Paul begins to suffer the same kind of abuse that he used to perpetrate. Except now, Paul belongs to Jesus Christ, which is to say, Paul now belongs to a God who came near to the suffering of his people. Paul now belongs to a God who is not detached from uh, from his people, even when his people uh, suffer the very, very worst of, that this life has to give. And for the apostle Paul the proof that Jesus is not detached from us, but is right up close to us in the midst of our suffering and our pain. It's not even his experience of, of meeting Jesus on that Damascus road, though that was important. His ultimate proof is the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died um, uh, at, you know, when he was 33 years old or something like that, when Jesus died and was tortured and, and 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 when he died upon the cross, that historical event for the apostle Paul is the proof that Jesus is not detached, but that he is with us. And if you read through the everything Paul wrote you get this deep connection in Paul between Paul's experience of suffering and Jesus's suffering on the cross. Paul's suffering and Jesus's suffering they're very different from each other and yet it appears that as Paul suffered his mind went from his suffering to Jesus's suffering. And the vividness of Paul's suffering seemed to enhance the vividness of the cross of Christ. You know, we, we have these fancy crosses up here and, and I love, I love our fancy crosses. Okay. But, the, but there's a downside to the fancy cross because the fancy cross, um, looks like the opposite of suffering, doesn't it? But for Paul, his experience of suffering allowed him to get a vivid sense of the reality of Jesus's pain. And as the cross became more vivid for the Apostle Paul, at the same moment, the love of God became more vivid to the Apostle Paul. Why? Well, Paul tells us that uh, in another letter in Romans that the greatest demonstration of uh, God's love is the cross of Christ. So think about this. Paul's suffering drew him closer to Jesus's suffering. And Jesus's suffering drew him closer to an experience of the love of God. And as God's love became big and maybe even heavy upon Paul's heart, in that moment, in that moment, in that very process, Paul was tasting what he calls the life of Jesus Christ. The life of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, once again, in the larger context of scripture, the life of Jesus or eternal life is almost always associated with intimacy with God. Now, here's what I'm trying to show you. God's best gift is always himself. And God gave himself to the Apostle Paul, not just in the great moments, but especially in his experience of frailty. And it's not just that God kind of encouraged him with a few pats on the back. It's that Jesus met Paul right in the horrible. And that somehow in a remarkable way, Paul's frailty and Paul's affliction was like the context where he, it was like the platform from which he could see the beauty of Jesus Christ with a pristine clarity. And now I need to be really careful. And I want you to remember what I'm about to say. I am not for a minute saying that suffering is good. Suffering is proof that we live in a really messed up world. But one of the things that makes the God of the Bible so unique is that the God of the Bible is not detached from the horrible of this world. That he came near, that he stepped into it that he entered into it in the person of Jesus Christ. And that still brings up all kinds of questions for me that I do not entirely have all the answers. I don't even have close to the answers. But I do know this. I do know this. If I'm going to trust anybody in this world, I want to trust somebody who has suffered because there's something about somebody who has walked through pain that, especially if it's similar to the pain that I'm going through, that makes me... uh, willing, willing to trust them. I, I'm not, do you know what I mean? And then, especially if that person is willing to walk with me in the midst of it. And that's the God that you find in the face of Jesus Christ. And it's one reason why Jesus Christ is the only view of God that I could trust. God's best gift in the midst of our frailty is God. And there appears to be a quality of closeness with Jesus Christ that we only taste when we walk with him through the hard path. But there's more. Not only um, does God give himself to us in the midst of the frailty that we experience, but also God gives us as a gift to others in our frailty. Look at verse 15. All this is for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Now, look, look, do, do you see how there's a shift? Paul moves from talking about his own experience to talking about uh, the impact that his experience has had upon the Corinthians. It, he, he shifts from, hey, this is what happened to me, to this is why it's good for you. It, it appears that Paul's suffering, and maybe it's better to say uh, uh, Paul's experience of Jesus' faithfulness in the midst of his suffering became a gift to the Corinthians, to the people he led. And here's why. The Corinthians, these people who were trying to learn how to follow Jesus, um, they got to watch Paul walk the hard path. And they got to watch Paul walk the hard path hand in hand with Jesus, moment by moment, breath by breath, dependence upon Jesus. They got to see it in live action. They got to hear, as Paul said, I am going through pain, and there's times where I've despaired of life itself, and I have found in that place, in the darkness, not just a way of escape from it, but that Jesus is faithful in the middle of it, and that Jesus is faithful to his promises in the midst of the darkness, and that encouraged the Corinthians, and that got to show them in live action what it looks like to walk with Jesus for real. Not just the theory, but the practice. And as they watched Paul, Jesus became vivid. And as Jesus's cross became vivid, Jesus's cross made God's love become more vivid. And as God's love became more vivid and weighed down upon their souls, in that moment, the Corinthians began to begin to experience and taste something of the life of Jesus Christ that Paul had experienced, that intimacy with God through Christ. Let me try to illustrate this. Um, I've mentioned this before, but one of the most uh, beautiful Christians I've ever met in my life is a man called Michael. He lives in a different country, and he suffers from MS, and his body is uh, uh, in visible decline. He's spoken publicly about his suffering. I've quoted him before. And Michael is one of the greatest evangelists I've ever met. Like he's extremely good at helping people who think Jesus is a bad idea, see why he's a great idea. And I, I, one, of the, one of the most fun things I've ever done is I, I led a course with him um, for, for folks who were exploring Jesus, trying to figure out whether he was a good idea. And what would happen is this, I would um, try to explain the theology, try to teach the Bible, try to make Jesus clear, and people's eyes would glaze over and, you know. And then I'd pitch it over to Michael, and I'd say, Michael, can you explain, like, how this works for real? And then Michael uh, would begin to describe, from the vantage point of his frailty, why Jesus is surpassingly beautiful. And everybody would want to become a Christian, including me, like I tried to get rebaptized a bunch of times, which I don't—we don't even believe in that. But anyways, um, and there were at least two reasons. I mean, part of it was he was just very gifted, but he is very gifted. But but, but another reason is um, that his frailty gave him credibility, and his intimacy with Jesus made him compelling. And many people walk with Jesus today because uh, Jesus because Jesus walked with Michael in the midst of his difficulty. And that's the way it works. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this The God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God. Um, here's what this means. Well, one thing this means. Emmanuel, uh, one of the best ways we will ever reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ is by uh, walking with Jesus through suffering. In that place, learning to lament it and to be honest about it and weeping in the midst of it and despising the pain of it and simultaneously keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and knowing him to be walking with us and clinging to his cross Because there we will be able to say and demonstrate to people, and they will see it, that despite the pain and all the questions it brings up, nevertheless, there is also a God who is good in the midst of it. And his name is Jesus. One of the very best best gifts you will ever give in your whole life is the long walk with Jesus through the dark path. And so I want to say this. If, if you're in pain right now, and I know some of you are, if you're in pain right now, don't give up. But set your, mind, set your eyes on Jesus. And I know you feel detached from God. But Jesus Christ is proof that God has attached himself to you. So trust him even if you can't see him. Trust him especially when you can't see him. Trust his cross and let the cross of Christ proclaim his love to you, a love which you may not be able to see right now. And if you find yourself saying, but I've prayed and I've done all the things and yet nevertheless I can't see anything, then tell us and let our prayers hold your faith Let our prayers, the prayers of Emmanuel Church, hold up your faith for you. Let our faith hold your faith, and that's called we pray for you, okay? And then look at verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are... unseen are eternal. Now, listen, um, if you're a Christian, there came a point at which you got to find out that your goodness wasn't going to get you to God, that you needed Jesus to reach in and grab you in the midst of all the badness, and that through his cross reconcile you to God. Do You remember that? Okay, you bubbled in the right answer there. Good. Now, for some of us, Jesus is teaching us right now that we in our own resources, I can't get myself through the pain We, all of us, get to realize we, are, we do not have the resources we need to get through this life. But I get to tell you that Jesus does. Jesus can get you through. Just like Jesus can reconcile you to God, even though you can't reconcile yourself. So Jesus can get you through the pain. And Jesus walks with you through the midst of this. That you, and he'll carry you. Now watch how this works. Verse 17 says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now I want to stop there and I want to say, light does your pain feel light? Of course it doesn't. It feels heavy. That's why it's called pain. But now, in your minds, look at Jesus. Because was Jesus's suffering light or heavy when he was on the cross? It was heavy. It was terribly heavy. It was infinitely heavy. We find out because in his suffering, he was bearing the weight of all suffering and all evil for all time. And I know that's mind blowing, but. There we go. He was, he was carrying infinite suffering and therefore he was carrying yours in the midst of it. But as heavy as that was, consider the resurrection. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And the glory of his resurrection outweighed his suffering so that the story of Jesus Christ doesn't end at the cross. It ends in his resurrection. The joy of the resurrection outweighed the infinite weight of the suffering of the cross. And Jesus promises you to give you that eternal weight of glory so that one day if you belong to Jesus, we will be able to look back on our pain and we will say it was horrible and we're never going to like, lighten the pain. It's never, the pain that we experience now is never going to get cheapened. And yet, at the same time, we'll be able to say as heavy as it was, it does not compare to the glory we know now as we look at Jesus Christ. So I say to you, do not look at the things that, are, that you can see. Look at the things that you can't see. Look at the cross. And the same thing about the momentary affliction. Does does pain feel momentary? No, it feels permanent. At At least that's the fear. It always, but go to Jesus's suffering because Jesus's suffering on the cross wasn't his only suffering. The gospel of Luke tells us that his whole 33 years was one trial after the other. But now think about the resurrection because 33 years of constant trial, that's a long time. But now, after his resurrection, it's been 2,000 years, and that clock doesn't stop ticking. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, he will give you that eternal glory, and it will not end. And one day, we will be able to look back at our pain, and again, without ever cheapening it, we will be able to say it is light and momentary compared to the glory that never ends. So do not look at what you can see. Look at what you cannot yet see. Look at the cross of Christ. So trust yourself to Jesus Christ, and let us walk with you, trusting Jesus for you. And he will walk with you. He is walking with you now. And we'll still suffer. We'll still be frail. But we will be afflicted, and Jesus will make sure that we are not crushed. We will be perplexed sometimes, and we'll bring those questions to Jesus and he will, um, he will make sure that despair doesn't win. And we will be persecuted, but Jesus will make sure we are not finally destroyed forever. And he will give us an eternal weight of glory. And that will be the first, our first sight of Jesus Christ will be his face. And we will know that he has been God's best gift all along. Amen.